Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday morning. Good Friday for those who are inclined to think about that stuff. And I'm one of those guys. Easter is Sunday. Spring break for a lot of people. Weather's supposed to be good. Life is looking up. And let me tell you, it's looking up even more. Now that we got Ken Pomeroy, he is college basketball analytics expert and proprietor of KenPalm.com. Kenny P., how are you? Ah, oh, PK, it's great to be on. What an intro, man! You're <laughs> you're the king, uh, king of intros, king. king of all intros. There you go. So we got the final four coming up. Excited, particularly excited for the Bruins and the Zags. You know, obviously they have a a local connection in that they're in the conference of the Utes and the Cougars. And can Zaga go? Can Gonzaga go? Uh, what are they, 30 and zip right now? Can they go 32 and zero? What an accomplishment that would be. What is your take on that game individually? Well, I think the Zags certainly are, are living right in order to pull an 11 seed in the final four. That obviously helps. Um, that said, you know, UCLA is obviously playing better than an 11 seed in order to get to this point. But still, uh, the Zags, at last I checked, are. 14 and a half point favorite, which uh, as far as I know is, is unheard of in the final four. Um, so, uh, so it should be a, you know, a fairly lopsided game. I do think obviously Mick Cronin has the, if he has the power, it's the power to make the game particularly ugly. Obviously we're just coming off a game where, uh, you know, they played a, a final four or an elite eight game that had a grand total of a uh, hundred points um, against Michigan. So, uh, so the game, that's the, probably the one path to keeping it close for UCLA is just mucking it up, keeping the game close, slowing down the game. You know, that game against Michigan had 59 possessions, which uh, was one of the slowest games in, in the tournament this year. And uh, and that's probably going to be critical. Again, obviously much more difficult to do against Gonzaga with Jalen Suggs running the show. I mean, that's the, the thing. You can look at a Gonzaga stat sheet and you can kind of see, you can kind of envision like little ways to, to keep the game close and make it interesting. Gonzaga's not the team that relies on the three-point shot. If you can force them to take more threes, you know, maybe you'll you'll have a chance, but nobody's been able to crack the code on that. And certainly it wasn't USC who, uh, you know, has more length up front than anybody, and, and they could not find a way to keep Gonzaga out of the paint, keep Jalen Suggs out of the paint, who you know, was just a magician with the basketball. So, so I guess all that's to say that I'm glad this game is first. It's uh, kind of the appetizer. I'm not looking forward to uh, – I guess it is. Uh, is it first? Is it, is it the first? No, it's game? second. It is second. the second game. So yeah. Well, make some plans for your Saturday evening. Alternative plans because the second half <laughs> may not be terribly interesting. Oh, so you're expecting that this line is going to hold true? Then meaning that uh, Gonzaga wins going away. Well, I think they either win going away, or if somehow it is close, it's going to be just. Uh, not entertaining basketball. It's, you know, it's going to be USC milking some or UCLA milking some shot clock, and uh, you know, keeping the game sort of artificially close, but not close in a way where you're like, "Ooh, this, this game could go either way." Like, you know, it's Gonzaga winning by by eight or by six on some late free throws or something, but um, not uh, you know, not ever trailing by any sort of significant amount. All right, I'm swallowing some food here right now. Sorry, sorry. You should have given me the signal. I could, I could have extended that answer a little bit, I guess. I'm good. I'm good to go now. 
uh, with that in mind, you know, you talk about Gonzaga not being reliant upon the three. Well, we go back a couple of weeks to BYU building a nice lead against Gonzaga in the first half down there at the West Coast Final, and they hit threes. How about the Bruins hitting threes? Do you think that if they should, A, should they just try that, try to steal what BYU did, now caught up to the Cougars in the second half, and obviously they did not win the game, and Gonzaga won by a fairly comfortable margin. So do you think the Bruins should do that, and are they capable of doing that? Yeah, the Bruins Bruins should do that. They should do what BYU did. Except for two halves, uh, I don't. What was BYU in the first half of that game? They were like eight of eleven or something from three. It was something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean that's you know that's the way that Gonzaga will fall if they fall. Um, you know, it's it's going to be to outstanding shooting and you know, more likely outstanding outside shooting. Um, uh, UCLA is not really they don't they don't have the profile to do that. They're not a a great outside shooting team. Uh, they uh, of the Three remaining teams are the team that easily takes the fewest three-point shots. They're ranked 300th in terms of the percentage of shots that they take from three-point range in all of college basketball. Um, they do have a few guys that can shoot it. I mean, you know, you look at the, the stat sheet, Jaime Hawkes is a 39% shooter. Jules Bernard is a 39% shooter. Um, but both of those guys have only taken about three shots per game this year. So they're just not prolific. Johnny Juzang is their most prolific shooter. He's taken about five a game, but you know, he's only made 35%. So the issue is, you know, they aren't a prolific outside shooting team. They don't have a lot of guys that uh, take a lot of shots. But I do agree with you. Like, if if there is going to be an upset of Gonzaga, it's going to be uh, through that path. We saw BYU, you know, do it and really have Gonzaga on the ropes. I mean, they. I don't think Gonzaga's been in a situation this year uh, like they were against BYU at the half. So, um so that will be the path, but uh, that path probably will have to occur in the title game and not in the semifinal game. Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com joining us. Gonzaga pulls this off, which I think they will. I don't think it's a big stretch uh, to assume that. <clears throat> I don't know that they will, but I think they will. Uh, what do you believe as far as going down as one of the all-time teams? Yeah, I mean, you have to put them on that list. The only you know, there might be uh, you know some some naysayers you know that mentioned that the season was a little bit shorter this year. I mean, they're going to end up playing uh, something like you know five or six fewer games than the normal team would have. Um, that seems like kind of a lame excuse. Uh, um, they obviously tested themselves pretty severely in non-conference play this year, so you know, if they did have those mythical five or six extra games, you know, four or five of them probably would have been against inferior competition anyway. So I think they still would have pulled it off. But just in terms of, I mean, it's not, there's no real fluke here, just in terms of what they're doing. I mean, what we've seen in the NCAA tournament is uh, is who Gonzaga is. They just have not really been challenged. I mean, not only undefeated, but they really haven't been challenged in the last minute or two of a ball game. You know, people will maybe you know, locally talk about that BYU game and they'll say, Hey, wow, that was really a test, you know, but even that, like that was close for like 38 minutes, but it wasn't really even a test in the last minute. Like the game was over by that point, um, which is pretty phenomenal given how, um, Gonzaga started that game. So, uh, I would certainly put them in that, in that category, of the all time greats, uh, obviously in the modern era, you know, nobody's been able to full, pull off that, that undefeated run. And I think for, for good reason, you know, it's not, 
1976. You're not playing a 27-game schedule. The NCAA tournament is structured completely differently than it was then, you know, where back then it was uh, you know, only the conference champs uh, getting in and obviously uh, select at-large teams picked on a regional basis. Um, now you have just a much stronger field and a much, it's a much more difficult task to win it all. And I think the, the cherry on the top would be if they got to play Baylor in the final game because for most of the season people have felt like you know, Baylor is really one of their, not necessarily one of the best teams of all time. It's only one of the best teams of the last 20 years and just kind of picked the wrong wrong year to have to win a national title because obviously you have Gonzaga, who is you know, one of the best teams of all time that you have to get past. Ken Palm joining us. Yeah, they were going to play in December, if I remember, but uh, who was it? Gonzaga had some COVID issues, so the game did not get played. Speaking of uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. So I'm assuming that Baylor wins this ball game against Houston. I haven't watched a lot of Houston. I've seen Baylor play a number of times. Big 12 is a great conference as far as basketball goes. Uh, what do you make of that first game? Yeah, it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting story because Gonzaga and, and Baylor were obviously going to play, as you mentioned. Gonzaga and Houston were also going to play uh, here in Salt Lake City at some point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I believe in like mid-January or something like that. But uh, uh, Houston ended up uh, thinking differently about that game, and, and that didn't happen. Um, but that game, uh, the first game, will be a lot of fun. Make an appointment to watch that, I think. Um, if you're if you're a fan of offensive rebounding, it's kind of interesting. Roy Williams obviously announcing his retirement and people uh, talking about his career yesterday as the, the head coach of North Carolina and, and prior to that, Kansas. Uh, the one thing that Roy Williams' teams did more than anything, people talk about how they play up tempo, but his teams crashed the glass. And Baylor and Houston will be paying an homage to Roy Williams in that first game because uh, you got two of the top ten teams in the country in terms of offensive rebounding. Um, you know, like you said, Baylor, I think the, the clear favorite, but Houston is a fun team just because they concede nothing. You know, they not concede rebounds uh, defensively. They'll concede every pass. They'll challenge every shot. They're not a super talented team, but just their attitude is so much fun. They're really tough, and uh, and they've kind of gone under the radar. The problem is that Baylor has a very similar approach. They're just better at everything. They're you know more like a Big Twelve version of of Houston, where they're just you know they have better athletes. They're bigger, longer, stronger, and uh, and they're also a the best three-point shooting team in the country, which Houston will shoot the three a lot, but they're just not a great three-point shooting team. They kind of make up for it by getting offensive rebounds. Baylor um, won't shoot three quite as much as Houston, but they will make those threes to the tune of 41% this year. So um, so that's really what, what drives Baylor's offense. But it's not just that. You know, they're, they can get – you know, they have a great front line and they get a bunch of offensive rebounds and uh, um, they're – Kind of a machine as well, especially when the defense gets firing, which uh, um, it has done lately here in the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm joining us. So go ahead under the assumption then on Monday night it's Baylor and Gonzaga. What do you got there? Well, you have one of the best national title games that we've ever seen uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what those two have accomplished during the season. I mean, you think about it, it's really, you know, one versus two in most people's minds. And, you know, you go back through the history of the NCAA tournament and – I think people, you know, when the brackets always revealed, especially, you know, in the last uh, 15 years or so, when they really seeded the top two teams, 
you know, you think, oh, wow, if this is one versus two, that's going to be a great game. And, of course, rarely, rarely happens. But um, uh, so it, uh, that would be what would, I think the first thing is noteworthy um, about this matchup. You know, the other thing is that, uh, again, Baylor's defense would really have to rise to the occasion here. I mean, I think all year long people have thought that it it could. They had, you know, a COVID pause in February and came back from that, and their defense all of a sudden was – nowhere near what it used to be and it's still probably not where it used to be but um if they can get back to that peak form i mean they have you know five guys they can basically you know switch everything defensively and that again is is crucial to contain Jalen Suggs, who like i said is a pretty much magician with the basketball and a magician in terms of just getting into the paint and, and breaking down a defense um you know if you can contain him then things get a lot easier defensively but there hasn't been a team this year that has really figured that out. And Gonzaga has scored at least a point per possession in every single game they played this year. And as I've been tracking this in the last 20 years, there's only one other team that has accomplished that. Uh, and that oddly, interesting enough, was a North Carolina team in 2009. So, um, so that's kind of the track record for Gonzaga's offense. It's uh, literally unstoppable, at least to this point. Speak of Suggs, you've brought him up multiple times. I made a statement last week that I feel Suggs will go down as to date when he gets there and give him a year or two to get his feet under him, but he ends up being the best Gonzaga NBA player that we've seen to date. I think that would put Sabonis in that category right now, and they've had a number of guys, necessarily not not been stars, but there have been a number of guys who've played in the league for a good long while, Kelly Olenek-type players. Do you buy my theory that Suggs and them be the best uh, NBA pro to come out of Gonzaga? I do. I do buy that. I mean, I think he'll certainly be the, the highest draft pick. I mean, the guy is just like, you know, when you think of one and done, you don't really think of guys like Jalen Suggs. If you were just watching Jalen Suggs, you didn't know anything about him. You know, you wouldn't think he was a freshman. Um, you know, he's just, he's so skilled and, um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I will say the one thing, like we talk about like kind of paths for, for Gonzaga to get upset is Suggs is like surprisingly foul prone for, for point guard. You know, most of your point guards, you don't think of uh, as getting into like regular foul trouble or whatever. And not that he gets into regular foul trouble, but again, for a guard, he does get into foul trouble occasionally. I think that happened, maybe even happened in the first half of the BYU game. Um, so uh, that's something to watch out for. It takes up a couple early fouls, maybe you can get him out of the game that way. Um, but to get back to your point, yeah, the, the the kid's amazing. And that's where this Gonzaga program is really, you know, taking the next, you know, kind of the next level. That They used to be a team that had, you know, kind of fringy NBA prospects. Oddballs uh, like Olenek, even Olenek was, you know, I think he was redshirt his first year. He wasn't necessarily expected to be a solid NBA player, but, um, you know, they got some, some surprise guys like that. But now they're getting, like, they're recruiting the best players in the country. Um, and that appears to be continuing into next season. So they've really kind of graduated from being this, like, mid major that's getting players that nobody else wants and kind of finding diamonds in the rough to, to now a situation where they can go uh, against the best schools in the country and, and really get the players they want to build a, a super team like they have this year. I sort of see Suggs, and this is outrageous, but that's what I'm known for, 
as a, a taller a taller Chris Paul. Yes, yes, a much taller Chris Paul. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. That's not outrageous, DK. You're going to have to do better with oh, outrageous takes. Dang. Okay. Uh, <laughs> better than magic. <laughs> Did I up go. the game there? <laughs> you told me to be more outrageous. That's the best I got for you. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. My only rule about player comparisons is never compare anyone to Draymond Green. So uh, as long as we stay away from that, I can work with you. But uh, yeah, he's probably not better than Magic. But uh, but he's just he has a lot of fun to watch. And well, you're the one who said week. he's a magician with the ball, not me. So you you brought up the Magic. <laughs> That's true. I need a I need a different term, but uh, not refer to the magic man. A wizard with a basketball. Yeah. So you put that in my mind. So I'm blaming you. And so what's the deal with uh, CBS and TBS? They're just ripping you off. <laughs> yeah. What is the deal with them? I mean, it is kind of it's kind of weird. You know, they are basically. I mean. You know, my buddy Seth Davis gave me some gave me some shout outs uh, last week. But during the broadcast, like they're broadcasters, I mean, I don't know what their game prep looks like, but whoever like feeds them stats, uh, it really doesn't tell them that they're getting a lot of their stats from me. And so they'll just you know they'll mention these like kind of very very specific numbers that you I'm pretty sure you can only get from like one location on the internet. And they'll build entire narratives or their games around this. You know, you're watching like North Texas and Purdue and it's like, hey, they do this well and that well and blah, blah, blah. And they're ranked 38th in the country of this. And uh, <laughs> and then they just mention where they, get the, where they get that wrong, which I think is like, a, you know, would be a nice courtesy since their entire like broadcast is really dependent on that number. So I've known Katz for about 25 years. Is he one of them? Because I can jump on him. <laughs> If uh, if if he's ripping you off, you let me know, and I'll get in touch with him. No, Cass is Cass is a good dude. I uh, it's mostly like I said, mostly the the in the game, you know, the announcers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Studio. It's not studio, studio stuff. No, studio guys do a pretty good job. Uh, okay, but it's, yeah, it's like you know, I don't want to call out anybody specifically because again, I don't necessarily think it's their fault per se. It's you know, the producers or whatever are just feeding them numbers without sources, and they just read them verbatim or whatever, but. It's just funny yeah. watching these games sometimes, and like the entire, <laughs> the entire narrative of the game is like based on a stat that, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they only get it, can get it from one place. So, and that whatever. would be KenPalm.com. That would be yeah, be KenPalm.com. I mean, you know, you know, CBS Turner paid like a you know a billion dollars for their package, and they're spending twenty bucks a year to like get the background info for their games like come on just give me you know give me a little bit here i'm with you man i appreciate exactly what you're saying credit uh the guy who's doing the work deserves it i just always thought that it was so ironic that you've built this empire and your last name pomeroy and palm rhymes with calm i mean you were like put on this earth to do the very thing that you're doing I mean, if it would have been Smith, it would KenSmith.com. doesn't really roll off the tongue the way KenPalm.com does. It's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, thank you. Um, definitely fortuitous. I mean, uh, I always tell people I bought the you know I bought the domain name before I knew you know what was going to happen in my life. So you know, it was just like KenPalm.com. That sounds pretty cool. I'm not thinking that like it would ever 
anybody else would ever care about it. I thought I was just going to be like, you know, <laughs> writing a diary or something that my parents could check out or something like that. <laughs> but yet, no, all college basketball Cobb people, I told you that story of Dave Rose telling me he's complaining about the parental influence one time, and he said, yeah, I swear as we walk off the court at halftime, they look up in the stands and their dad's giving them the uh, the player his KenPalm.com rating. <laughs> so they know it as they as they know it as they go into halftime. <laughs> and and that was before that was that was probably six, seven years ago. Now, my goodness gracious, with all the transfers, that was just a tip of the iceberg. Now we're into the thousands of kids on the move. Uh, on all that stuff, and so it's just gone gone berserko. Dave, when he told me that, I don't think he had any idea where it was going to be and where it is now. Right, and certainly the you know the free year that every player is getting is contributing to uh, the mass amount of player movement that that we're seeing this year. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder what Dave's opinion of name, in, image, and likeness was probably. Maybe not favorable either, huh? Uh, I was probably glad that he got out of it. Before we let you go, you got any insight in who might succeed Ray uh, Roy Williams? I don't have any insight. It's, uh, um, yeah, it sounds like they're going to conduct a national search, which is a good idea. Like, you know, the temptation is, hey, we're just going to pick a Carolina guy. That seems to be what the, you expect from the big schools. But uh, that's actually pretty difficult in this case. Uh, Hubert Davis. Uh, is their, I think, most likely, most qualified assistant uh, to get it if you wanted a, a Carolina guy. Um, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is out there. I was coaching at Vanderbilt. They did not have a particularly good year. So uh, it would seem to be a, a pretty difficult sell to bring him in. So, you know, it seems like they might have to go outside the program, which is uh, um, hard to do and obviously not something they've done you know, for a long time, uh, obviously Roy Williams is a Carolina guy. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and how willing they are to kind of stray from, uh, from the Carolina system. Um, but, uh, I think that's the story story there. It's obviously a very desirable job. And, uh, I think, you know, it's just a different kind of job from like Kentucky where the fans are, um, very, very impatient. Uh, not that the fans are patient at North Carolina, Matt Doherty can, can tell you some stories about that, but, uh, um, but uh, they're, they're a little more, a little more patient there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, obviously, the, the biggest job by far on the market this year. Yeah. All right, Ken. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, PK. Enjoy the rest of your breakfast. Okay. Thanks. And before we go, when I'm talking about Suggs being the best player, it's Mark Few era. Obviously, John Stockton. I don't even know who was the coach back when Stockton was playing way back when. I'm talking about Mark Few. And he's been there 22 years, I think it is, maybe 23. Interestingly, they've made the tournament every single year that Mark Few has been in there. Absolutely amazing, the consistency of this program. I would love to see them win it all for sure. But we're talking about, when I said that, I'm talking about the Mark Few two-decade-plus all right, we got the Bulls uh, play-by-play guy, Adam Amin, coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about the Chicago Bulls. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.